Good morning, church. Good morning for those online and those here in the room. I think we're getting this routine down, and I want to thank you for your understanding. I want to thank you for your cooperation and how we're all doing this. We're loving and caring together for each other. We're not there yet. We're going to get there only by the grace of God. So we appreciate your, your patience, your understanding and care for us and for each other. And we want to do everything that we can show God's love to each other these days. We're going to continue in the series we've been in, After God's Heart. But before that, we started this year by talking about one story, one scripture, one savior, because all of these stories we're getting into is really showing us that if we read a story in scripture, that story is supposed to show us who God is, what he has done, and what is man's responsibility into that uh, relationship. And then what can we do? What does it tell us about the Savior, Jesus Christ? So we're going to continue in that. Last week we talked about David, and we were seeing how he was a kind man, how his heart was really captured by God. He showed kindness to the household of Saul and Jonathan by what he did for the grandson of, of Saul, the son of Jonathan Mephibosheth. So the kindness. We looked at that scripture last week where we, we talked about the kindness of God. The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of what we have done, because of what he has done to bring us into relationship with Jesus Christ. As we continue today, we're going to be looking at also God is a holy God. We see the holiness of God in everything. The scripture says it right from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. It says that God is holy. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. So there's the holiness of God, his purity, he's set apart. And when we come to know Jesus Christ, God is also requiring holiness from us. That is, we want to walk in his ways. But man is sinful. The sinfulness of man, the wrongs we do, just how we struggle, the conflict we have. And Paul writes in Galatians, he writes in Galatians 5.16, I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are, they are in conflict. So a holy God, a sinful man, but that love of God that is steadfast brings us together to be able to experience it. But in ourselves, the passion for sin is there. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. You know, what is sin and how does God want us, a sinful man and a holy God, how does he bring us into that relationship? All this week, if you are one of those that follow our friends who put, our staff members and friends who put stuff on social media, we talked about this verse in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God has forgiven us. Just as in Christ, God has forgiven us. And so today, our scripture text, we're going to be looking at what is this forgiveness that we experience? The, the scripture we're going to be dealing with today 
in the main scripture that will tell the story of David, it talks about sin, holy God, and his forgiveness. And so I will not be reading from the beginning here. I will not be reading from 2 Samuel. I'm going to be reading from Psalm 32. The context of the psalm is that David also, what we're going to see in the story we'll read today, we're going to see the Savior that David was talking about and how he expressed himself. These stories we read about David, they always go back to the book of Psalms where he wrote something that really talks about his feelings, his heart, talks about his mind, his heart, and his actions. So we'll read in Psalm 32 uh, this morning. We're going to be reading that because it's, it's a noted psalm. Here are some comments that were made about Psalm 32. He said, St. Augustine, that's actually the person I'm named after. That's a whole different story. He inscribed the psalm when he was really in his sickbed and said, I want to be like this when I meet the Father. So if you are able and you could please stand, I will just read Psalm 32 uh, for us. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my growings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Father, may this be our prayer that we have sung the songs of forgiveness and righteousness. Now may your holy word, Father, come to us and reach us where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So David is writing this as an expression of where he had been with God himself. So what we're going to be looking at, now if you have your Bibles in person or online, I want us to go to the main text we'll be looking at today is 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now this is a story, everyone who knows about David, you always first that the first one that everybody remembers, we've already talked about it, is Goliath. And the second one that everybody would really know about it it's Bathsheba. So we're going to see the story that it's not only David, it's David, it's Bathsheba, it's Uriah, and it's Joab, and it's all uh, situated around 
David. So we're going to go through and look at David, the man himself, and then we'll see David and Bathsheba, and we'll see David as the men who surrounded him, his mighty men, and then we'll see David and Nathan, how that relationship was there and what came out of that. And then we'll be ending up in Psalm 51. We're not going to go deep into Psalm 51, which is like Psalm 32, but then we will have a time to respond whatever God is going to be saying to us today. So let me start off in David and himself, verses 1 of, of, to 4 of first, Second Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of, of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly cleanliness. Then she sent word back to David. Then she went back home. The woman was conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. David and himself. So we're talking about a failed heart. And we see David here, there were steps that he took that really led him to fall, to fail God. And these are steps today, they may not be any different from us. Some of us, our sins may be different, but these are the gradual downward trends when sin gets hold of us. Let's see in the scripture, it says it clearly out here, how David got to where he was in the spring. And this was the time in the spring is the time that men will be pursuing their enemies and David was supposed to be going after his enemies, but he's not, he's at home. He sent, he delegated and abdicated his own responsibility. He sent them out and he stayed in Jerusalem. God had been faithful to, to David and he had this wonderful palace. But what is he doing? One evening, verse two, and David must have been so relaxed. So number one, he stayed at home. He was a fighting warrior. He's supposed to be out there fighting the enemy, destroying those who are not following God. But he stayed home. He's not, he's not fighting, he's idle, he's lazy, he's lonely, and he's alone. He was relaxing too much. He was not on vacation. These were the steps taking him. And this evening, so he must have had a long nap because they say on the evening he got up from his bed. You know, sleep is good. It's very good for health, but you can overdo something like that also. He got up and he was walking around the palace and looking. If you've had the opportunity to be out in Jerusalem, and some of you in here and online, we've been where they call the, the city of David and you go to the palace. You know, on the rooftop, they build these houses because of the Mediterranean wind that blows in that area. So you can be on the rooftop and look way out there. So David, instead of being on the battlefield, he's in his bedroom, he's on the rooftop, and he saw and he stared and he saw a woman bathing. Because in that culture also, I've actually seen on a rooftop in Jerusalem, you've been some houses there, that is where their bathroom, 
where they would take bath is. That's the way they just built it in the culture. And David saw this woman and he sent for her. See, in the inquiry that David was making, in verse 3, he said, they told him, this is Elam, the wife, the, the, this is the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We'll come back to that later when we talk about David's mighty men. But David is sending for her. You know, we talk about sin. When we started the series, we've talked about, you know, below the waterline, Pastor Rob took us there. When we talk about sin, it's because it's in the scriptures. And David's downward trend to the sin was that he took steps. The Bible says that sin is, James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, right? God does not tempt us, and James right. God is not tempting us, for we are not tempted by God, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away from their own evil desires and enticed. The desires in us. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So with David in this situation, he was really making this very clear. He had a passionate desire, and he followed that passion and desire. And so when sin, when temptation is acted upon, it leads to sin. And this is what David is experiencing here. And so we will not say, well, it's my personal business. You know, nobody should be in my personal business. But the holiness we talked about God encompasses the life of a believer that everybody will need to see our lives. Because when we follow a temptation, we fall into sin. It hurts us. It hurts those who are loving to us and caring for us. It hurts our community and our life. The battle for sin starts in our mind, our indulgences, our weaknesses, wasting of time, lack of community and relationship and accountability leads us into sin. This is David and himself. I remember going, growing up, I was in high school, and the youth pastor would always visit me. It was a little annoying, you know, when you're in 12th grade, some of you are graduating. But the youth pastor would visit me, and at that time, you think you know. But I will never remember what he gave to me to memorize. It was years later I really found that um, Ralph Emerson had written this. And the pastor encouraged me because of the sin I was in as a high school boy. He said, memorize this. It will help you to stop sinning. What was it? And let me read it to you. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. That in those years, just before I came to Christ, was always haunting me because I would look at myself and say, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I am doing. But it transformed my life when I really came to know Jesus Christ, that my behavior and my pattern of sin is because of the thought life. But the scripture also tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, John writes this. John knew about sin. He said the lust of the eyes, the lust of the body, the pride of life. These are three areas that always grab us in sin. These are what I see with my eye, what I want to experience, and the power I want to have. Even Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, he was wanting to say, well, you are the king. You, can, you could just um, call on angels or you could turn bread, uh, stones into bread or you could just get out from this place, I'll give you this whole wall. 
What brings us to sin are those longings and desires that are really haunting us day after day. And when we think about, about this, that it's not an instant moment. I was sharing with a friend who we were talking about this text, and he said, you know what? Sin, when we fall, is not a blowout. It is a slow leak. You know, you start by little things. You are not being accountable. You are not in community. He said it's not, it's not just a blowout, but it is an easy, easy steps that you take. Also, in college, you know, trying to go through literature, we had to read all this poetry. And as I was preparing this and reading other, other sources, one of the poetry that I remember clearly from, from college days is the one by Emily Dickerson. And she wrote this one, which is the crumbling is not an instance act. If you, you could Google that and read it, crumbling is not an instant act. Sin does not just happen. It's a crumbling, it's not an instant act. It's not a fundamental pause. He said it's like cobweb on the soul, cuticles of dust, and elements rust. And I see, you can just imagine when I read this, I would just imagine that it just doesn't happen at once. Then it said, fall is an instant, no man did slipping. It is a crash. May we be looking at areas where our friends will hold us accountable, that people will speak into our lives, our behaviors, and our acts. So for David, it was just himself. And this is where the fall is taking place. Let's continue to look at the second thing we see there, David and Bathsheba. We read here in the scripture that David sent for her and she came, and then they committed adultery. Both of them sinned, when you look at it here, both of them sinned, but David was the aggressor. She must not have been that Hebrew girl that was really caring for herself. And I say this, raising two daughters in this culture, and there are lots of things I had to learn and teach and learn and teach about modesty. And, they, and I want to say to those who have daughters or women, we really need to have modesty in our, in, our, in our character, in our behavior. The scripture says a lot of that because the eyes are out there, they're looking, and there are many ways these days it's easy to quickly get there. You know, it could be on your phone, on your iPad, you could just look everywhere. The scene is around there. But David was violating what God had told him to do. He was the aggressor, and his character and his um, integrity was at stake. But also what we see in the scripture, that David, it started, you know, we said it's a slow leak. This was not just the first time that David had been violating God's laws. David, when he lived in Hebron, he had six wives. That was really against what God had told him to do. He knew that. And so the sleeping has been going on. His eyes in his house were just a longing. I remember um, over 38 years ago, I was dating my wife that I'm now married to. And at that time, her parents, they had not come to know Christ yet. You know, they were of the Muslim faith. So you know how you visit your father-in-law-to-be? And I visited my father-in-law, and we're having conversation. And he wanted to make it very clear to me. And, I, and he said, you should only marry one woman. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm a Bible college student. I know it's in the book. 
Well, I was getting advice from a man who had had four at one time. Polygamy, like David, he had four. And he's telling me I should only have one. Later on, when he came to Christ, I showed him in the scripture that the scripture says that it's one man, one woman. God had a design for marriage. God, in the beginning, the Bible says he made Adam a man, Eve a woman. Culture cannot change that. Tradition cannot change that. That is God's pattern. And so we need to always go back to God's design for what he wants in marriage, a one man and a one woman. Culture may tell us many things, but you think in Genesis where God said, and this man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave to his wife. Moses made it very clear when he said in the seventh commandment, you should not commit adultery. So it's there in the scripture and we've seen a violation with this man and Bathsheba. Jesus even made it very, very hard. This is why we should not entertain this place. Jesus said, you may not just commit a physical act, but in your mind, you can look and that is sin. It's an adultery starts in the mind. So what do we do if these are the sins we commit? And these are the temptations we face. Paul had a very great way of putting it there. He said, flee. Flee from temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, no temptation has taken us that is common to man. God is faithful. He will always make a way of escape. Every temptation I have faced that will lead me to fall, there was always a window or a door of escape that I did not take. Let's look to God and his blueprint for this relationship. Read in the scripture, there's nowhere we can see the scripture we, we contradict God's design. Uh, you look at a wrong interpretation. So for David and Bathsheba, there was no turning back. The wrong had been done. But David didn't stop there. We see now David and his mighty men. David didn't stop there. The longing of his desire, we read in the scripture here, that she came to David and she, she said, I am pregnant. So David is not stopping there. What does he do? Verse 6. David sent word to Joab. So the mighty men, Joab is one of these mighty men. David had about 36 men who he was accountable. He calls, he calls them, or the scripture calls them, the mighty men of David. He had the circle of men. And Joab and Elam, the, the father of Bathsheba, and Uriah were all part of this. So we see how David is continuing the downward trend in violating what God wants him to do. So he sends word to Joab and said, send me Uriah, and he, and he came to David. Then David said to Uriah, so the man is on the battlefield. You know, when we start to sin, we do not stop anywhere. David just continued, brings him back to the palace and say, hey, you've been on the war front, you've been fighting, just go home and take some time with your, with, with your wife because he knew what was about to come. But Uriah is a man of integrity. Let's look in the scripture what Uriah had to say to David. Verse 9, 2 Samuel eleven nine. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace and all the master's servants and did not go to his own house. Did he have a clue what's going on? I don't know, it doesn't say. But he just had a commitment and we can see the commitment is had when David was told that, hey, the guy didn't go home because David is cooking up this plan. He didn't go home. And what happened? 
Uriah said in verse 11, the ark and the, the ark of God and Israel and Judah are staying in the tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. He stood up to the king, said, I'm not going to do this. He stood up to the king David. So he is a man of integrity. He's a man of commitment. He has high moral values. But greatest of these, he had a passion for God. His passion for God kept him not to go home and leave the men fighting in the battlefield or even the ark of God that was there. David and Uriah, you compare that. But then we see in the scripture here that David did not stop there. You know, the downward trend of sin was not only staying in Jerusalem. What does David do? David said, oh, stay here, verse 12. One more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. What does David do next? At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah did not go back to his house. Can we see why it is necessary that the sin I live in, I should not be in, in, in indulging others to continue, to just cover up, because God can reveal all of these sins. And so Uriah stayed, and what does David do? The next of the story tells us that David wrote a letter, another downward trend, and said, hey, take this to Joab. When you get out there, Joab, you know, I'm sure that letter was sealed, and he took it, and the, what was written in the letter Put Joab on the front line of the battle, and then you pull back when the enemy is pressing, and they killed him. So you go from your idleness, your laziness, to adultery, and now to murder. What a shame in David's heart that he did not see the battle that he was causing himself. Temptations, we should run from them. We should flee. We should not make that choice even when we are tempted, whatever it will be for you. To whom much is given, much is expected. But David did not see that. When do I stop? When do I continue? The moment there's a deep conviction of a sin is the time we should stop. And so we read how this chapter ends. The chapter ends that Uriah the Hittite was killed in battle and David got the message. But verse 26 when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Sin is always displeasing to God. However little, however we are hiding it, is displeasing to God. But it doesn't end there. We come to chapter 12, David and Nathan. This is where we see that if we are really in community, in relationship, in connections with others, people will be able to come to us in a relationship we have to talk to us about what we have done wrong. You know, that is one of the things in this role or life we live as a Christian. It's your wife, it's your children, it's your friends, the accountability is all over there. And I think all of us who have those people who are just right in our face would confront us. Nathan the prophet was one of those who came and confronted David. He came and told a parable. He told a story 
And the story that he was talking, a rich man and a poor man, and the guest that came, the traveler, came to this person, and the rich man went and took this lamb, this ewe lamb from this poor man, and then he slaughtered it. And Nathan said, you know, David was a man in authority. He could make a judgment call on this. And Nathan said to him, you are the man. How many of us have that confrontation with friends? You are the man that we can receive it. And so the confrontation we read in chapter 12, and he said, you are the man, because David first had an emotional response. This is what should happen when the confrontation. But Nathan, the prophet, made it clear. You are the man who've seen. You've seen against Bathsheba. You've seen against Uriah. You've killed it, it just goes on and on. Read, read chapter 12 sometime. It just go, goes on and on. You killed um, Uriah the Hittite. Now you've taken his wife. And this is what the Lord is going to say to you. You're going to have the consequences. And the rest of that chapter says God is going to take away the child. The lost that child. And the household of David was always in trouble. You just read the next chapters. Uh, you will see the trouble that was in his home. And David's heart was broken. But this is what I want us to get as we've been singing and talking about forgiveness. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Wow. I have sinned against the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have to come to this place where whether we're walking with Jesus, that when we wrong him, we can declare God, I failed you. I sinned. I did the wrong. Don't make it as an excuse. Don't make it as uh, uh, trying to justify the wrong. Say it is the sin. And the people around you are able to help you through that. You sin against the Lord. And we see the rest of chapter 12 there of 2 Samuel, that God made it very clear to David what is going to happen, the problem in his own household, and the things that he had to do. So when we come to, to the chapter in, in the Psalm 51, it's coming out of this context of this story of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 is what Psalm 51 brings up. Because David now, broken heart, devastated by his sin. His heart is broken. And that's what should happen to us when they point out our sin to us. And that's when David penned, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Blot out my transgressions. So David comes to God in Psalm 51 to agree with God. That is, you are confessing your sin. But also repentance in, I was going in this direction. I turn around and follow God who will restore me. And so the rest of Psalm 51 Take some time to read it. Is David shedding his life out before God, telling God that, yes, I did it. Yes, I am wrong. But God, do not blot me out. God is a loving God. God is the one that we know that I have sinned. He will forgive me of my sins, and he will restore me, and I will proclaim him. You know, David, we just read in 32. Then he also says, in 51, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back from, from, from their sins and they will follow you. Oh, that we will be people who are, our hearts are heavy, our hearts are burdened with our sin. Personal, corporate, as a nation, wherever God has put us, where we failed, God is so loving. 
or maybe you don't even understand this if you're joining us online on this room. Well, what is this whole thing about? Where the love of God is so amazing that each one of us we consider that if I don't know Jesus Christ, I'm just going to struggle through this. But the first thing is to realize the love that God has for you, that God commanded his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we confess him, he, you will receive him as your savior and he will cleanse you from all your righteousness. It will be as far as the east is from the west or the north from the south. Forgiveness. Name the sins that we are struggling with. Let's don't just justify, let's name it. Let's face it, as we go into this time of worship, we really want to come to the place and say, God, maybe I'm like David, by myself. I am alone. My mind wanders. The things I look at, I think about. With yourself, David and himself, stay busy. If we're not about what God is wanting us to do, we're going to come to the place where we'll fail him. Let's confess as we name them, but also let's say no to temptation and say yes to Jesus. I read a story of a young lady, her name is Rachel Gilson. Rachel had had a struggle in her life in relationship, went down the wrong way for a long time. And when she came to Christ, she said, you, don't know, you just don't say no to sin, but you turn and run to Jesus. And Rachel says, let's not just say I'm running from sin. If you are not running to Jesus, you will run to the wrong place. Let us make our way to Jesus in this next few moments and just be before him, personal, private, and corporate, and say, oh God, have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. Whatever is the sin in my life, I stand and I confess my own, and I will count on God's word. If we confess, he will forgive us. Can we go to the Lord in prayer as we wrap this time up? Father, we are people we bow before you like David said, have mercy upon me, O God. Father, with my brothers and sisters in this room or wherever they're joining us, our thoughts, our attitudes have caused us to fail. We have brought others into our sin and we're holding on, we can't let it go. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us, Father. Now, Lord, we prepare our hearts that we will pour it before you because you've invited us. And Father, we pray that you will speak to each one of us even as we go through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Lead us, Michelle.